Welcome to the Killing Unions Podcast. This is episode 71, and I'm Bobby Shaw, alongside my co-host as always, Miles Gift. In today's episode, we speak with Brooke Janicek, who is a chief marketing officer, owns her own marketing company called the Grow CMO. Grow CMO provides a fractional leadership solution for effective marketing growth. She founded the company in 2022 after two decades as an expert in the marketing industry with companies like Disney, Toro, GE, and Liberty Tax. Brooke's dynamic leadership style follows her outside of the office and into every realm of her life. Brooke is a self-proclaimed digital nomad, so stay tuned and buckle up for that conversation because it's a fun one. We know you're really going to learn a lot from this conversation. I know I speak for Miles when I say we did. So really excited to present this conversation to you. Would love to hear your feedback and stay tuned at the end for how you can get in touch with Brooke if you would like to utilize her company, The Grow CMO, to help you implement effective marketing strategies. So thanks very much for your time today, for listening, and we'll see you on the other side. Well, we're so happy to have you on the podcast, Brooke. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. This is going to be a great conversation. So we were just having a chat about that off podcast. So we're looking forward to hearing you share all of your wisdom with us and with everyone who's going to be chiming in to listen. We we have a small audience, but it's a mighty one. So good. I, I love that. And especially when it's super niche, it's uh, it's even better. Absolutely. So, well, we'd love to start off if you wouldn't mind just kind of just an introduction of who you are and kind of how you got here and what you've been working on. Sure. So I, I don't know how long of a version you want, but uh, <laughs> as I, long as you want uh, to give. <laughs> um, so I like to give a little bit about me as a person versus my resume, because I think that's a little bit more interesting, but um, Nebraska gal. So a very Midwestern born and raised gal that moved to Texas in late 21 And then um, recently I decided to become a digital nomad. So for people that aren't familiar with that term, that basically means because I can work anywhere, I work remotely, all I need is a laptop to get my job done so I can roam around. And I remember when I told my parents that I was going to do this, I think in their mind, they immediately envisioned like the 1960s or 70s people in their Volkswagen uh, (laughs) vans moving in their little buses. Yeah. In their little buses. Yes. Yeah. Buses. Thank you. And so I was like, no, 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 this is a legit thing. And so I was sending them articles and I said, digital nomad is a, is a real thing. So basically I just rent long-term Airbnbs. So I'm going up the coast of California this summer and I'm on this personal growth journey. So I want to really see what it's like to be out of a routine and meet new people and try new things. And I actually just posted yesterday on LinkedIn about all of the different things I've been trying. So um, that's a little bit about me personally. And then the job that affords me to be able to do this is I'm a fractional CMO. So a lot of people also don't know what that means, but it is, um, it's becoming really popular now that executives are going out on their own. So you could be a fractional chief sales officer, you could be a fractional chief marketing officer like me, or a fractional chief financial officer. And basically companies hire you for a part-time basis to do executive level work. So I get to work with all these brands, helping them grow their brands and, and giving them marketing strategy 
at less than the cost of what they would have to pay to hire a full-time chief marketing officer. I think that's fantastic. And, and I've worked a little bit in this space over the last few years too. And I think with varying levels of degrees of success. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're fractional, you know, I've had some friends that have done this too, not in the marketing space necessarily, but just in operations, because I think mm -hmm. that's another kind of avenue. So I'd be curious to, to just kind of hear overall, has the experience been good for you? I hear it on both sides of the conversation. It's been really good. It's been really hard, all the things. So I'm just wondering from your perspective, how has it felt for you? That is a very timely question because I have been talking with many of my friends lately about the roller coaster ride of entrepreneurship. And I'll kind of tell you the pros and cons. It, I also think I had a little bit of beginner's luck. I don't know that my origin story is probably normal for a lot of people starting out in this space, but I had clients right away. And I ended up resigning from a job where the CEO said, is there anything I can do to keep you? I said, no, sorry. And he said, well, can I retain you to finish out these projects? So right away, I mean, I resigned and got my first client within you know five minutes. It was the same conversation. So I think that's a little bit of an anomaly. Sure. But from a biz dev perspective where you're trying, you're on your own, it is you. And the eat what you kill uh, mentality is, is hard. And, uh, but I have, I have been successful in, in the sense that throughout my career, I've built this wonderful network. So I have a lot of referrals. So that part has come easy for me. And I don't want to say that it's easy for everyone, but that part has come easy for me. What the challenge has been is when you're on your own, you don't have anybody to delegate to. You don't have anybody to, I had a wonderful team at my previous job and it was become so apparent to me how much I relied on them for collaboration, for bouncing ideas off of each other. And it can be a little lonely and isolating when you're doing it on your own. Yes, I would echo that a million times. And I think that it's an amazing experience that you've had because I think sometimes folks that even are well-connected, they can struggle in this space because they are used to the collaborative nature of of what they do. And I know for me, having worked in that space for a few years, I really missed my team. I really missed those connection points and being able to, to collaborate, ideate, and kind of talk through the future. Uh, I found that I'm actually better with other people around. In fact, here's a real world example. So Miles called me I don't know. It's been a couple of years ago now. He was an early guest on the podcast. I actually looked this up the other day. He was actually guest number eight on my podcast. That's how far back Miles and I go. We're on episode 71, right? Amazing. So, but with many breaks me. in between for, for <laughs> that's life. right. That's right. That's right. For real life and COVID. Uh, but so he called me one day and said, Hey, would you ever be interested in doing the podcast with me? Like, like, can we do it together? And it was an easy answer. It was like, absolutely 100 percent uh because a i'm really tired of talking to myself and b i think we'd just be better if we could get more guests on you know and kind of talk to them together so uh that's that's been kind of my experience in that space so it's good to hear it from the other mm -hmm. side that's yeah really i i thrive in an environment where there are people around me like you and I also thrive on leading teams. And so that part has been the, the missing piece. And so I've been fortunate enough that I have people that I used to manage that I subcontract sometimes. I still call and bounce ideas off of. But the other thing is 
as a fractional CMO, I have really learned to find other people in the same space and we've created our own little cohorts. So we have a Slack channel that we can bounce ideas off of each other. I had a pretty big presentation a couple of weeks ago where I sent it to a couple of the women and I said, can I just get some feedback on this? And that has been helpful as well. And so you have to create the environment that you need to thrive in, especially when you're on your own, because you can't just expect that it's going to come to you. That's amazing. It's really great. Really great tip on that. That that's so so helpful. So Brooke, we've got a we've got a, as as Bobby mentioned a, a pretty um, passionate audience, and a lot of them are entrepreneurs where they've got their own restaurants, um, whether it be singly or, or you know maybe a couple. And kind of talk about how maybe they could use someone like you where they can't afford a, a full-on marketing team for their businesses and, and um, you know, how they can how they can best utilize someone like you. Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of companies who seek fractional support, they are either in a couple of stages. So they've just started out and maybe they don't have any one on staff yet that is in charge of marketing. So that's one scenario. So if if they are owning a, a couple of restaurants and maybe they've just always done marketing on their own and, you know, it's kind of one of those things off the side of their desk that they're like, oh, I'll get to it because I've got a million other things to do to run the, the uh, restaurant. But so you can have that scenario or you can have a scenario where maybe you do have a more junior person on staff and now you're ready to level up and you're looking for somebody to do more of the strategic advising. And so that's really where someone like me comes in. I can fill in either spot where I could be your sole marketer and I can provide the strategy and help um, execute for you. Or maybe I guide somebody on your team that you've already hired. But again, you're just looking for somebody to have maybe a little bit, you know, a higher like 20,000 foot view versus just in the weeds doing the day-to-day -day stuff. So uh, it really depends on what the needs are and at what stage of the business they're in. Are they just launching and just opening and so they need a grand opening plan and how they're going to get people into the restaurant? Or have they been around for a while and maybe, you know, guests and, and sales are flat and we need to figure out how to grow. So there's a couple different Depends on what they need is is the long answer or the short answer, excuse me. So, so help me with something here. So, you know, Bobby and I were we're a little older, and so we have the way we used to to market hey, speak growing for yourself. up in the business. Speak for yourself, and this came up just this week as I was talking to talking to somebody else, and they were talking about a new restaurant opening and the marketing for it, and I've gone through that just here recently as well and so he brought up the digital and and the marketing team wanted to do all digital and spend all this money on the digital and he's struggling a little bit because you know he wants to do a lot more uh ground and pound and kind of what we're used to and and from your perspective i'm just really interested on on a new store openings whether it's restaurant or anything you know, what have you seen success with and, and help maybe some of us older folks understand that migration towards all this digital? Sure. I actually just partnered with another fractional CMO on a grand opening strategy for a franchise that um, is an oyster um, bar. It's called Shuck and Shack. And um, so we talked a lot about their grand opening strategy and it is a mix of very, do you know them? Is it Jonathan? 
I, I don't know. I was the the subcontractor in this scenario, so I didn't interface with the client directly, but um, at the franchisor level, they were like, we need to figure out how to create a grand opening plan for all of our future stores. So I will say the plan is a combination. So the answer is both and. So you need the traditional in the community, what are we doing to attract guests to our locations? But then there's also a digital component. And I'll give you a couple ideas. So what I mean by that is everything now on digital is people love the visualization. They love to be able to see, okay, what is the food like? Especially if the food is super appealing and the and then what is the ambiance like? So is there, you know, a vibe that you want to attract certain people to? And so you can kind of bring that to life through digital mediums like social. But the other thing what I love is there is an opportunity to get data on consumers um, through digital means. So you could run ads about the grand opening or even just if you're already open, getting people into the location. And you can start to see who's responding to that to see, okay, this is a whole different type of audience that I didn't expect was going to respond to our ads. And maybe this is a demographic that we have just had a, you know, turned a blind eye to and didn't realize they could be potential customers or or guests in our in our restaurant. Um, the data that you can get from digital is incredible. And you can see the return on your investment. It's a little bit more difficult on um, the other side, but, and it's also so automatic that you, and I don't want to say you set it and forget it, but you do set it and then kind of let it do its thing. So you can kind of, you know, see how they work together. I don't believe that you just do one channel. I don't believe that you're going to put all your eggs in the digital basket and forget everything else. It has to be a well-rounded strategy. You can run contests, so you can drive people to landing pages, capture their name and their birth date, and now all of a sudden you've got an email list that you can, in the future, send things to. You can send, you know, promotions or special wine nights or, you know, birthday specials. You can do all of that, and the only way you're going to be able to do that is from a digital perspective. So I think there's a both and there. Yeah, and one of the things that we found on the digital side is when you set it up and you're able to to own that guest, quote unquote, and capture that guest and then re-reach out to them. From a marketing side, there's so many things you can do with that. And then from the operations side, you know, we've got operators that, you know, they're looking for that coupon to walk in the door. And then I feel good when I've, I can collect coupons and I feel like it's working. Right. Um, but I think that digital side opens up so many avenues of, of interacting with the guests that we haven't had before. It does. And it's one of those things where you, you have to see where is your demographic. So if you have an older demographic and they aren't participating in digital, then maybe you still need to split your budget accordingly to be a little bit more in the quote traditional. And it's funny because I consider digital to be traditional now, but I know in the past um, that wasn't the case, but offline type stuff um, does work as well. But you have to go where your consumers are. And even now, I think about the the older generations, the boomers, they're online. They they have become just as savvy, um, if not, you know, more interested in what's on Facebook and Instagram than I ever expected them to be. And so my mom, for example, her favorite uh, 
social account that she follows in Omaha, Nebraska is the woman that does all the restaurant reviews in Omaha. So she, she loves it when she puts out her latest restaurant review and then she'll text me and say, Oh, Sarah Baker Hansen said that we have to go here. So they're So that's the other type of stuff is it doesn't necessarily have to be paid ads. The content is also what drives people. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. And when you mentioned digital kind of being kind of the norm now, it is funny because I remember even six, eight years ago, it was still relatively new in the space. And there were some early adopters for sure that were in that space early on, but nothing compared to what it is right now. And it's almost like now that's the basic entry to even play. I mean, you have to have a digital presence. You have to have some sort of loyalty component. You have to have some sort of way to engage the guests beyond just what you have on the menu because that part of the game is completely changed. I'm glad you mentioned the loyalty component. That is uh, important. And there are so many things now, so many different tools and platforms that can help facilitate the loyalty component. And not only are if you're collecting points, for example, towards a discount, or if um, you want to refer people and you get a discount because you've referred a friend, there's so many ways now that you can automate it that it makes it super easy and attainable for owners to put something like that in place. That's kind of the beauty of the digital age now is it can be really automated and take some of the operation burden off of you. So I looked up, I do know Jonathan. He is okay. at that particular company there that okay. you mentioned there, Shack and Shack. I met him yeah. at a conference back in 2016 when I spoke at it. And so now he's got a, it's a smaller independent brand, right? That he's franchising. Um, so yes. were you working with the company overall or were you working with like individual franchisees? Because that changes, right? You know, right. So we were working to. with we were working at the franchisor level. So okay. uh, my partner and I in this project, she brought me in on it, and so her contact was the franchisor level, and it was how do we create a plan that can easily be replicated across the locations to the franchisees to be able to almost to essentially have a playbook. This is how you open a location. This is the digital component. This is the recommended spend. And then this is what we encourage you to do in the community. So feet on the street, this is what we're doing from a grassroots perspective. So Miles, that has to really resonate with you because I know this is kind of the world that you've lived in over the last few years where you're dealing with an individual franchisee that may or may not be on board with the overall direction of the franchisor. Yeah, and... and like Brooke, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in talking about loyalty. And, and is that something, Brooke, that you uh, dabble in or help set up? And, and what have you seen with that? Because I know as a consumer, when I download someone's app, if they've got a, a even a decent loyalty program, I'm more inclined to visit and revisit and, it, you know, start to see how many points I can build and, and all those things. Um, versus somebody that doesn't, I kind of lose interest and almost forget about it. Have you? Is that something you can help with? And what have you seen from from your side um, on on guests revisiting versus not? Yeah. So short answer, I can help connect you with the people that do it. Um, I don't, you know, I can't build the loyalty program or the app, but I know some really good companies that do that. And you made a really good point about the stickiness of apps themselves. So think about how many apps you've downloaded on your phone that you never touch again. And 
it's funny. Sometimes when I'm bored on a plane, I'll clean out my apps because I'm like, I don't even know why I have this. But the ones that I constantly come back to are the ones that provide value to me. And there's a psychology in getting the points. So Starbucks, I love to see that I've gotten a, a, you know, a free drink. Now they've changed their loyalty program a little bit, but there's a restaurant in Fort Worth called Doc B's. I love it. I love using, you know, right away when I sat down at the bar, it says, you know, there's a QR code that asks to scan for the loyalty program and I get 10 bucks off right away. So I have that instant dopamine hit. So just from signing up, I got $10 off and then I keep coming back and I earn points. Um, Sidecar Donuts in Santa Monica did it. Like you're absolutely right. You need to offer something to make them come back and provide the value to the app. And there's just something about seeing your little bank of points increase that you see this see hang on okay Chick-fil-A. Yeah. look at that Chick-fil-A. Forty-two thousand points 42,000 points Woo! i haven't spent any of them and i can't bring myself hey can you transfer me some of those points my kids love chick-fil-a i can but, but i'm not going to so uh, but no but but you're absolutely right from a mobile app standpoint it's it it's like you love to see the points you have whether or not you choose to spend them or not you know that they're yours yeah now but in some cases like starbucks you have to use them or lose them, right? Right, right, exactly. They will expire. And so that is something that I, you know, from a strategy level, I would talk to business owners about, okay, what type of loyalty program do we want to offer? What are the stipulations? Can we, you know, can we share them with a friend? Again, because that's a marketing technique. So exactly like you're not using them, but somebody else could use them. Okay, now I've acquired a new customer without even paying for you know, that acquisition. So there's a lot of things you can do in that regard, as well as um, do they expire? Do they roll over? Um, there are three pretty large uh, corporations that do this, their their apps. And one of my clients was um, an e-commerce brand that wanted to set up a loyalty program. So I did quite a bit of research and I'd be happy to, they're, I'm drawing a blank on the names right now. I think friend buy is one of them for sure. But I would be happy to send you an email after this. You could put it in the show notes, the the three that I researched that I would recommend um, because the that's what they specialize in is you just get on their platform and then you can see how many users, you know, how many points they're accumulating, if they're referring friends. It's just, it's pretty slick. What are the different areas that you work in? I know we mentioned restaurants, so you've done work in restaurant space, hospitality space. Is that is that kind of your sweet spot or do you work with other segments as well? No, I actually work with uh, quite a few segments. So the beauty of the the role that I have is I get to work in a lot of different industries. So I've worked with brands that are emerging. I've worked with established brands and then pretty much any industry. So right now my my portfolio, I have a startup in the pet tech space. So we provide rides um, for pets. So essentially we're Uber for pets. I have several franchisors that um, are not in the hospitality industry that are more in the home services space. And then I have another startup that's actually in the hospitality industry, but more on the um, uh, like short-term rental space. But I am a firm believer that the principles of marketing, you know, transcend the industry. So if you want to hire me and you're in coffee, great. The principles are still the same for coffee as they are for lawnmowers. In my opinion, it's just we're talking to a different audience and selling a different product. Some people don't believe that and subscribe to that theory, and that's okay. Um, But there are others that see that, yes, the fundamentals are the same, 
And if the marketer is smart and understands how to find the people, they can do a good job for me. Yeah, that's so great. You know, I know we feel the same way. So we have the same sort of thought around culture building and and leadership development. Those are really timeless and they work across every segment, whether you're talking about restaurants, airlines, retail, it doesn't matter. Now, to your point, not everyone subscribes to that, right? And and, and so not everyone chooses to embrace those ideas right. and those ideals, but but it doesn't mean they're any less valid. And so I know one thing that I, you know, that I would look for in a potential client is do they really believe what I believe? Because if they don't believe that, there's nothing I can do to really help them grow and scale in the right way. Because mm-hmm. I believe that how you get there is just as important as getting there. Exactly. And you hit on something really good there with the values alignment. That is something that's really important to me and to anyone listening from an entrepreneurial standpoint, or even from a hiring standpoint, if you're hiring for your restaurants, is really trying to sniff out the values of that individual and if there's going to be an alignment. So when I, um, the previous employer that I worked for, we would um, hire and coach our teams based on three principles, which was humble, hungry, and smart. So are you, do you have humility? Um, Are you hungry? Meaning, do you have a bias for action? Are you going to get stuff done? And then from a smart perspective, I'm not talking about IQ, I'm talking about EQ, the emotional intelligence piece. And we would design our interview questions to essentially sniff those out. So for example, you know, the, the hungry question would be, tell me about a time where, tell me about a project that you worked on and it was the hardest you've ever worked on in your entire life. Like, what did that look like? So you're trying to listen to how they handled it. If they are like, oh my gosh, it was 45 hours a week. You know, if they start rolling their eyes, then it's like, okay, maybe they don't like to work as hard. So you have to listen to what they say and also their inflection when they say it. Um, The humility or even the um, EQ question we would always ask is, if your best friend or your mom was sitting in the room with us right now, what would they say that you do that is annoying? And if the person, you know, it's kind of the same thing as tell me what your, you know, your, your weakness is, but it's a different way of asking it that gets them to think differently. And I had a, uh, individual respond, he said, and I ended up hiring him, but he said, well, I talk too much and it was so pure. And I was like, great. He is super self-aware that he talks too much. And it was great information for me to give to his manager to say, don't sit him next to X, Y, Z, because that's all they're going to do is talk, you know, for, for days and days. So, and it was something that we would constantly coach him on and just say, you know, I'm not going to use his real name. I'll just say Jason, because that's my brother's name. So that's just comes to me, but we'd say, Jason, you need to, you know, focus a little bit more on the work at hand and save the social hour for lunch. So it was just easy to coach on those things because you hired on those things. Thanks for saying Jason, because I'm pretty sure that Miles thought it was me you were talking about. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for clarifying that. I felt sure you were going to go with Bobby. But that's okay. <laughs> I could have, but no. So I want to reset just a little bit and go back. We kind of, I feel like we kind of um, brushed through something that may be important for our listeners as maybe they want to get into your space or this kind of space in different avenues, whether it be HR or, you know, operations or even marketing, what have you. 
just a little more. I know you right out of the gate had some success and that's phenomenal, but um, maybe some of the struggles you went through mentally or, you know, um, some of the things that you felt like looking back, you're glad you did to prepare yourself for this role. And some of the things maybe you feel like, man, I wish I would have done that to pre- help me prepare for this role. Yeah. So I'll start with the struggles first. Um, I think it's a daily struggle of, am I cut out for this and why, why did I decide to do this? And also, should I go back to corporate? So those three questions run through my mind constantly. And literally, I just talked with my career coach yesterday about it. And she goes, I just want you to know how normal this is. And she just kept repeating that to me. She goes, every entrepreneur has these days where they think, am I cut out for this? Why am I doing this? And then they start searching for jobs. So that, again, I just am passing that along because it is normal. And that is something I struggle with is the imposter syndrome and also the the desperation of you know, looking forward and seeing, oh my goodness, like by December, I don't know, you know, I'm not going to have any clients. And so really pulling back and saying, okay, I'm not desperate because desperation attracts desperation. I don't want to attract a client that is also desperate. And then we're just kind of in this, you know, not great relationship. And so having the patience to know it's going to, it's going to be okay. Everything will, you know, work out that's a a muscle that I've had to really (laughs) flex and work on this um, journey. So I I would say those are probably the two biggest things I struggle with from just a real tactical perspective, finding uh, insurance because you're no longer on someone's insurance. Um, Having the discipline to put 30% of what you make into an account that you pay quarterly to taxes. Do not wait until the year is up. And when your account tells you, (laughs) please do not do that. So, and it is, it is painful when you look at how much money is in that account and you're like, I can't even touch it. Like I would love to go to Croatia or whatever on vacation, but I can't, that is for taxes. So be really disciplined. And that is a piece of advice. And the first person I hired was a bookkeeper. So that is something that I learned uh, and I didn't even actually learn the hard way. I just said, I know that this is not my strength and I'm going to get this right out of the gate. So those would probably be um, struggles and lessons learned. And then what I would, you know, what kind of prepared me for this? um, I apologize. There is a garbage truck. Um, Oh, good. I can't, I can't hear it. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. So what prepared me for this, I think is just having years of experience in the corporate world to know I can do this. Like I have the evidence. I go back and look at the evidence. People have hired me before I have been gainfully employed. I have received, you know, positive and constructive feedback on things that I can take forward and move into this new I guess, journey of life. So there've, there've been some things along the way that have prepared me for sure. I definitely think that's, you know, that trust and belief in yourself for the entrepreneur is you go through those struggles and they are real. And we know people that are opening restaurants and doing new businesses. And, you know, it's, it's that, that self-doubt that creeps in, like you said, why am I doing this? And can I do this? 
And for us, you know, it's just bring, I think that's where we feel like, um, you know, we fit in this whole whole podcast area is is bringing that message to people that there are other people out there that are struggling and having the same questions. And like you said, you had a coach that, you know, told you this is normal and this is okay. And I think that's what we want to bring to folks is that, yep. hey, this is normal and it's okay. And I think the other side of that is that that it's also okay to fail. Yes. Not, not everyone makes it. Yes. And that's and that, okay. You have to be comfortable with that. And there can be some expensive failures and there can be some pretty low risk failures. You've had, you have an expensive failure, Bobby. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that? And, We've both and, had expensive. Yes. Failures. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. And I think it's that yeah. learning from that that can be so powerful that while initially probably doesn't help as much that over time, you know, you can start to see that, okay, this was a good experience. It may not have went the way that I wanted it to go, but overall it was a really great experience. And then you learn from that. My, one of my clients said to me the other day, education is expensive and it That's just, a fact. it just hit me. I thought, oh my gosh, you're right. There have been so many things that I've tried with my business this year. This is a year of investment for me. And that just didn't work. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> you know, that's just, again, those are things that you just, education's expensive. I learned something from it. And unfortunately it cost me a couple grand. That's right. a great way of putting it. Cause I always said when my, when I did that and, and my big failure that that was my PhD. Um, and, and I always referred to it that way. I'm hopefully I'm done getting, you know, education at this point. And, <laughs> no more advanced degree. Learning. No more advanced yeah, degree. I don't miles. need an I don't need an MBA. I don't need <laughs> just the what I've got's good. That's right. So so what would you tell an up and coming aspiring entrepreneur? Maybe it's even someone who's maybe a little bit farther along in their career and might be looking to make the leap like you did, right? Out of the corporate environment that you were in into becoming a fractional CMO or a fractional CFO, like what, what's, what's kind of your, your guidance for them on when the time might be right to make that move? I think there's two things. One, there's never going to be a perfect time and you just have, you just have to jump. So we were talking yesterday about jump and the net shall appear. And that's what I had to do because you can sit there and you can think, okay, this is what I'm going to name my business. And then, oh, now I need a logo. And oh, now I need a website. And then you're going to start going in the spiral of it's not good enough yet. And all of a sudden now it's six months down the road and you haven't launched and you haven't taken that that uh, leap. And someone else gave me an analogy yesterday that like the parachute never deploys until you jump. So I think that is one thing is, you know, don't think that you know, I have to wait for the perfect time because there's going to be no perfect time. And that's such a cliche thing to say, but it's true. And then the second thing is you'll know, like, I feel like I have done so many, I've made so many decisions in my life based on my gut and it's never failed me. And I knew I had been thinking about doing my own thing for years and it never felt right until it did. And so if you kind of start having that nagging feeling like maybe I should do it, maybe I should do it, then go do it because that's only going to get louder and louder and louder. 
And for me, finally, the universe is like, I'm going to make your situation so uncomfortable that the only choice you have now is to go out on your own because you've been, you know, you've been sending out signals this whole time that you want to do it and you're not taking the jump. Here you go. Here's your situation where you're going to have to run and jump. (laughs) Absolutely. So for you, like, how do you know at the end of the day that you've done really great work? Like, what does that look like? Because especially as an entrepreneur, you don't have that external feedback a lot of times, right? Maybe from clients or whoever. So how do you know at the end of the day, you're like, all right, that was really successful. I think just knowing that I tried and I did my best, like I put my best foot forward. I've put all of my emotion and my heart into it. There are days where I feel like, oh, I could have done better. And when I look back at that, it mostly has to do with staying present. Like if I'm on a call and then perhaps, you know, an email or a text comes in and then I go look at it really quick. That wasn't being present. That doesn't feel good to me. And the client is not paying me to be distracted. And so there are just some little things. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I submitted a proposal today or, oh, I got a signature on a contract. It can be things like I was fully present for the individual I was with at that moment, or maybe I only got one thing on my list done, but it's something that's been, you know, you know, in front of me for weeks now. And I finally, and I finally did it. And then owning my calendar for me is also a success. If I was disciplined enough to put buffers in, to give myself some time, those are just some quick wins that make you feel good when you can't get that external validation from somebody else. What do you know now that you wish you would have known when you very first started out? I wish I would have known how mentally challenging it was going to be. But then again, if I would have known that, I probably wouldn't have gotten into it. <laughs> I'm not saying that to scare anybody, but it it's just, I just want to be real about the the doubt that creeps in every single day. But then the rewards and the freedom really are, outweighing those benefits. I mean, I keep, I keep coming back every day and I keep, you know, doing what I'm doing because it is rewarding and I I feel accomplished and I feel like I've made a difference in a business and an individual's life. And then I have the freedom to kind of go do what I want to do, but I wish I would have known that. And I wish I would have known, um, I stumbled upon these other fractional CMOs, maybe five or six months into my journey. And so I wish I would have known that existed right away because I think it would have helped me um, get my contracts tighter in the beginning and, and have um, uh, just the discipline in, you know, setting up Calendly and zoom and all of those things that you just learn along the way because you're building the plane as you fly it. So so find that support group early on right somebody that you can lean on and bounce ideas off of and maybe maybe sharpen what you're doing so we've talked about all the scary things and you know the this the doubt and all that so so tell us the other side so you're going up the the coast of california or you're going through california which is the positive side right getting to do something you never probably would have got to do in a in a job nine to five so so tell us a little bit about your journey there yeah, I thank you for bringing that up because I don't want to end on a on a bummer note because the freedom uh, has been pretty incredible. And so again, I just need a laptop and so I can go anywhere. And I decided when my lease was up in uh, April back in Texas that I was going to put everything in a pod and go explore. And I ideally wanted to go explore Europe, but I have a 
large dog and I didn't want to put him underneath the cargo part of the plane to get over to Europe. So I thought, well, the United States is just, you know, has some just as beautiful scenery. And I've only been to California for quick business trips. I've never had like a sustained amount of time here. So I thought I'll start in Southern California and I'll work my way up the coast. So I started in Santa Monica and then I'm on my way up through the coast and I'll end up in Santa Cruz next month. And so I wouldn't have been able to do that as a fully employed, you know, W9 or excuse me, W2 employee. Um, I also have the freedom to walk my dog at any point during the day in between meetings. I just hop out and go walk him. And that's also where my creativity happens is I'm, I'm walking him and I'm thinking of, oh, that's a great idea for this client. And I'm recording voice memos on my phone or I'm sending myself emails. And so I, I love that freedom and flexibility and I own my calendar. And so I have told myself no meetings on Mondays because I need to ease into the week and I need to get my mind right. I need to get all of my work done. And you can't do that in a corporate setting. You can't say, oh no, sorry, I don't take meetings on Mondays. Right. And it's yeah. just- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ease into this week. <laughs> right, right. It's That's more awesome. like- I yeah, Miles, can we try that, Miles? I, I mean, I think I'd like to try that. Okay. All right, great. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. So, yeah, I have been able to explore and do some really cool things. And even I just had a post yesterday on LinkedIn and the first line said, go do random stuff. And what I mean by that is go do something that you never thought you could do because it's going to open your eyes. I had my first cup of Turkish coffee because I was driving up the coast and I saw this little Turkish coffee shop and I have tried aerial yoga and I went wine tasting by myself. All of these things I've done, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do without taking, you know, PTO and then burning all my vacation. And then all of a sudden now it's December and I don't have time off for the holidays. Right. Right. So Santa Monica. So being for, living in Vegas the last four years, I've got to spend a little bit of time. We love to go to Big Bear. Um, so if you haven't been there yet, I highly I recommend that. that. <laughs> and then this last trip, um, we extended a day, went down to the pier in Santa Monica and rode the little roller coaster and all the stuff out on the pier. Did you did you did you get out on the pier and ride some rides? No, it's so funny you say that. I did everything in Santa Monica but the pier. I saw it. Um, but I actually, um, spent a little bit more time than I anticipated in Malibu. And I think it's cause I loved the drive and it was a little bit more chill and found this amazing bar. So there's a brand called aviator nation that was started by Paige Wysocki and she, um, started this out of, you know, a little, she's a surfer gal out of Southern California and it's, uh, high end sweatpants and sweatshirts. That's all I can explain it is, is that, but she, they have a bar in um, Malibu called, um, what is it called? Now I'm going to forget, but it's an aviator, aviator nation brand, but it's all 1970s branded. So you walk in and you are transported to that. Oh, really cool. That's and they awesome. have like a yellow tint on the windows. And I walked in and they were playing the doors and the the carpet was like red, you know, shag. And I didn't grow up in the seventies, but it, everything, you know, I've watched days and confused and all of that. Like it just transported me. And I sent a video to my parents. My dad goes, Oh my gosh. He goes, this brings back so many memories. I'm like, 
that is what a brand should do. It sure. should transport yeah. you. It should evoke these emotions. And so I ended up having a blast there and I went back several times. So I think that took away from my peer experience because I kept going back to Malibu yeah. for that bar. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, speaking of bars and restaurants, one of the questions we love to ask guests is, and you're from, are you from Texas? Is that where you're, is that where home is? No, I'm actually from Omaha, Nebraska. That's right. Omaha. So in Omaha, what is your hometown restaurant, like go-to order that you just have to have when you're home? Oh my gosh. Well, there, okay. Can I have more than one answer? You can. Okay. So first, uh, one of my dear, dear friends from high school started a restaurant called Dante and it is a Neapolitan style pizza, um, higher end restaurant. It's so good. Amazing wine. I love the ambience and I just love supporting him. So Dante in Omaha, chef Nick Strawhecker. And then I will add that to my list. I will add that to my list. Yes. And then there is something that started in Nebraska called Runza. Runza, now, oh I my think, gosh. I know exactly what Runza is. Okay. Okay. With the cabbage and the the, yeah. the, the beef and all that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, Miles, have you ever had a Runza? I've not. Come on, no. Miles. Come on. You've and not lived. You've not lived. You have not lived. I, I guess. I guess. And the problem is just even you explaining it, Bobby, I can tell Miles is like, what? If you tell anybody outside of Nebraska about a Runza, they just, they, they get this look on their face, but let me tell you, it is so good. And it's like this dough, amazing bread. And it's like a hot pocket of, of beef and cabbage. And it's just, oh my it is so Hot good. Oh my gosh. Right. But I I go there. Probably I say, probably yeah. I go there for the cheeseburger and fries, to be honest. I think it's like the best fast food cheeseburger there is because it's like you can tell it's real meat. <laughs> right. So um, but yeah, Runza. That would be my other one. And they have Runzas in Kansas. Aren't you from Kansas City, Bobby? Yeah, I don't think there's runs in Kansas City. There's one in I think there's one in Overland Park. In Overland Park? I think so. All yeah. right. I did yeah. not know this. So, so, so Miles, you're not far. Yeah, I want, I want some <laughs> pictures uh, of you at Runza eating some cabbage and, oh and beef. Bro. <laughs> oh, so good. Oh my gosh, it's hilarious. You know what? You know what? Next time you're in KC, let me know. I'll, I'll take a trip across the state. That's right. And you know, we'll post some some Runza photos of. I like it. I like Marvel. it. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so Runza good. getting some love. They That's are right. yeah. <laughs> they're a chain, but they're all corporate owned. Yeah. 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 That's so funny. You know, I spent some time in Nebraska uh, over the years and um, actually opened the first six Chipotles up there. Um, opened at Lincoln. At, well, the old Lincoln right by the university. Mm-hmm. It's not there anymore. I think they tore that down and they relocated it. And then... Omaha went to West Maple, um, 135th. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. The one that uh, West Maple is 178th and center. That was uh, right next to the Chick-fil-A. Yep. Yep. Exactly. (laughs) Dodge, um, 72nd and Dodge right there at the intersection there. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great market for restaurants. There's no Mm -hmm. doubt. So that's really cool. This has been really great, Brooke. We really appreciate the time this morning. Is there anything that we should have asked but that we didn't ask you that you want to share? Uh, 
No, the only thing I will say is I'm extremely active on LinkedIn. So if you want to follow me there, it's Brooke Janasek and you can, I post every day. So I either post something about branding or marketing, or uh, I'm extremely vulnerable about my entrepreneurial journey. And so you'll see the the struggles and the wins that I post about. So that would probably be the only thing that I would like to end on. That's awesome. Well, we and, and so appreciate your right? time. Oh yeah, I'm with sorry. an E. It's Bye. with an E. Yes. Yes. Broke with an E. That is a that is a good thing to note. And I just had a post the other day about how it's annoying when people don't spell my name with an E. I don't get it. Well, yeah. And then the, your your Starbucks post where they, you know, uh, yeah, do it on purpose and all yep. that. So. Uh, oh, you've yeah. seen you've seen e. my posts. That's right. Hey, well, you know, Bobby and I, Bobby and I stalk quite a bit. That's so, true. It's I true. call it research. You did he's your not, research. He's not wrong. <laughs> like yes. That's, That's right. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Yep, exactly. Well, Brick, thanks again for the time this morning. We really appreciate it. This has been so great. Of course. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Cutting Names podcast and this conversation with Brooke Janicek. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Thanks again for sharing this podcast across all your platforms and telling people about cutting onions. It's our goal to help spread the word around culture and leadership development across not only the hospitality industry, but across every segment. So thanks for continuing to listen. Thanks for continuing to support us. And we look forward to seeing you back on a future episode next week. Thank you.